the longer this goes, the less likely that freight returning to Western Canada. Tonight on Global News Hour, one week of strike action by port workers and the real cost to trade as the deadlock deepens. And then. Our wildfire hazard continues to build across the province. Dozens of new wildfires in BC sparked by lightning just in the last 24 hours plus. Government and Canadians need to listen to these communities. Anger and outrage in downtown Vancouver as protesters accelerate accusations of foreign interference by the Indian government and the death of a Gurdwara president in Surrey. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Now one week into the strike that shut down nine of 29 ports and terminals in B.C. and there's still no resolution. Striking workers are preparing for a major rally on Sunday in Vancouver as the chorus of calls to end the labor dispute grows louder. Paul Johnson reports. At Canada's premier rodeo, it was maritime trade, not ranching, that was top of mind as Alberta Premier Danielle Smith sat down with Prime Minister Trudeau. Smith has written him a letter calling on Ottawa to intervene in the strike by port workers in B.C., echoing calls from politicians and business groups across the country who say the breakdown in talks is an economic security threat to all of Canada. The amount of freight that comes in through Western Canada is uh, staggering. U.S. logistics executive Paul Brashear says in recent years the ports of Vancouver and Prince Rupert have been able to capitalize on quicker connections to Asia and past chaos at the big U.S. West Coast ports. But the current strike, he says, is now compelling shippers to reconsign their cargo back through those American ports, a trend that may be hard to reverse. The longer this goes, the less likely that freight returning to Western Canada uh, will be. With no end in sight, many groups have called for Ottawa to do what they did to end the Port of Montreal strike two years ago, legislate them back to work. But that would still entail massive ongoing disruption for the economy. One labor sector insider told Global News it would probably take at least two days to reconvene Parliament from its summer break and then a couple more to pass the law. And even then, the so-called nuclear option comes with its own set of problems. But for long-term labor peace at the ports, they need a negotiated settlement rather than an imposed one. SFU Labor Studies lecturer John Henry Harder says the optimal outcome is a quick return to the bargaining table and points out the irony of Canada's pro-business cheerleaders suddenly going all in on the heavy hand of government. They're crying um, foul and begging the government to intervene in the economy when most of the time they're telling the government not to be involved in the economy. So they want to have their cake and eat it too. Paul Johnson, Global News. And still more labor strife, this time in the local beer industry. Workers at Granville Island Brewing are now on strike after talks broke down over wages and job security. Unionized employees hit the picket lines this morning outside the brewery. Workers have been without a contract since the end of May. 
The brewery is owned by Molson Coors, one of the largest beer companies in the world. Unionized employees start at $16.75 an hour, while most staff make just under $21 an hour. The union says both wages are not enough to live on in Vancouver. We came to them with a, a decent offer and they, they weren't really willing to negotiate past a certain point. Uh, and that's where we decided, okay, this isn't, uh, the, what you're offering isn't going to even come to inflation for us, and that's not going to work. In a statement, Molson Coors says in part, we're doing everything we can to get a deal done, including offering raises on top of current pay, which is already above Vancouver's living wage. We have also proposed mediation to help us reach a positive agreement, which the union has refused. Now to the wildfire fight and thousands of lightning strikes hit the province in the last 24 hours, sparking dozens of fires. As Victoria Famia reports, residents in some regions, including BC's interior, are preparing for even more lightning strikes. Yesterday, there were more than 7,000 lightning strikes in B.C. And those strikes were the cause of dozens of wildfires across the province, all starting within 24 hours. Yesterday, we saw 67 new starts and 50 of them were caused by lightning. So right now, the bulk of our fires are coming in because of lightning. In the Kamloops Fire Centre, which covers south-central B.C., lightning was the cause of the Horseshoe Lake wildfire, which has been held at 3.2 hectares. Fire department responded alongside B.C. Wildfire, who sent eight crew. It was also responded to using aviation, so air tankers were providing support along with three helicopters. Today, six BC wildfire crew have, res have responded to the incident, along with one water tender and one helicopter. They are making good progress on containment on that one. Another notable fire burning in the Okanagan is the Star Creek Fire, around 28 kilometers north of Cherryville. It's 10 hectares and is also one of the several starts in the region in the last 24 hours caused by lightning. In the last uh, 24 hours, the Kamloops Fire Centre has seen 623 lightning strikes, of which we saw 11 fire starts, 10 of which are suspected to be lightning. Conditions in BC's interior are not expected to improve anytime soon, with above average temperatures, more lightning on the way, and little to no precipitation in the forecast. It won't take much to spark a fire in the valley. When you have dry forest fuels on the landscape and you're seeing over 600 strikes, then you are going to see fires starting. On top of that, you have what's called holdover fires. So that's where the lightning strikes, but the fire doesn't start until the fuels dry out a little bit more, which is expected. With the kind of building factors that we have with that drought, the dry winter, the early spring, the kind of precipitation we might see next week isn't really going to touch that hazard. So far this year, there have been 733 wildfires provincially compared to a 10-year average of 514 for the same time period. Victoria Famia, Global News. And one of those new lightning-caused fires has led to an evacuation order to be issued for residents in the Bulkley Valley. The Powers Creek wildfire is currently 22 hectares, burning four kilometers south of Smithers. It is continuing to spread and not responding to suppression efforts. Residents west of the Telqua River and south of Bulkley River are being evacuated. A temporary shelter and check-in has been set up at the Christian Reformed Church Reception Center. 
Further south, a pair of wildfires have led to an evacuation alert near Burns Lake. The Tintagel and Sheraton Creek wildfires are burning approximately 5 kilometers east of the village and only 1.5 kilometers from Highway 16. The fires cover about 10 hectares each and are displaying aggressive fire behavior. Aerial and ground crews are responding. The regional district of Bulkley Nachaco has issued an evacuation alert for all properties on the north side of Burns Lake. Accessed off Highway 16. It's suspected both of the wildfires were started by lightning. And Environment Canada has issued a heat warning for a number of areas in the BC interior. The warning is in place for the Thompson, Caribou, Shuswap regions, as well as north, central, and south Okanagan areas. Temperatures are expected to reach 35 degrees Celsius during the day, with overnight temperatures falling to 18 degrees. With elevated temperatures, the risk of heat illness is heightened. Residents are urged to drink plenty of water, wear damp clothing, stay in the shade, and of course, wear sunscreen. So will these extreme conditions persist this weekend? Here's meteorologist Yvonne Shell with more on that. Yvonne? Thanks, Julian. Yes, good evening, everyone. Uh, those temperatures are soaring through the day today. It'll continue with the heat warnings remaining in effect for those areas likely and towards our Monday. But the big weather story with that is temperatures soaring up to 35 degrees and then not much of a reprieve with just 18 as overnight lows. We've still got the smoky skies bulletin in effect that extends in towards the northeastern corner. So those with respiratory issues will try and want to try and limit the amount of time spent outdoors and then the next big weather story with it we're still seeing the severe thunderstorm watch all areas that are in orange that extends in towards the central interior the southern half and even in towards the Okanagan Valley we're tracking lightning strikes at this hour they may become severe so we'll be watching it very closely and we could see very gusty winds so severe thunderstorm watch that remains in effect extends in towards that half of the province our fire danger rating also sitting at high to extreme I'll have more coming up very shortly Julie. Thanks for that, Yvonne. The province has quietly stopped using piloted convoy, convoys rather, on the Highway 4 detour. For nearly a month, commercial vehicles had been escorted along the detour to and from Port Alberni. It started after a wildfire closed down Highway 4, but the service came to an end yesterday. The Ministry of Transportation says with Highway 4 now operating at single-lane alternating traffic, Commercial trucks are no longer using the convoys. A full opening, reopening rather, of Highway 4 is expected in the coming weeks. Nearly seven months after her disappearance, the search has officially resumed for Melissa McDevitt. She vanished back in December after heading out for a hike in Souk. An intense effort was launched to find her, but it failed to turn up any clues and was eventually suspended. Now new information has searchers redeployed, and as Julia Foy reports, it's all thanks to a dedicated group of backcountry enthusiasts. Dozens of police and search and rescue members gathered Saturday morning near the Souk potholes in a renewed effort to find 39-year-old Melissa McDevitt. There are 80 searchers uh, on the ground as well as uh, one canine team. Melissa was reported missing on December 10th, 2022. The surveillance photo shows her heading out for a day hike. Nine days of searching failed to find her. Her parents from North Dakota were heartbroken. I still find it hard to believe at moments during my day that Melissa is not here. It was kind of surreal that this really isn't happening. 
But recently, a dedicated group of backcountry hikers discovered the watch Melissa was wearing at the time she disappeared, recorded her hiking route, and the info was saved on an app. 912 base, go ahead. Based on that new information, Souk RCMP and the Juan de Fuca search and rescue teams are doing a refined search in an area first examined in December. It is literally like finding a needle in a haystack, but at this point, this is the new information and this is the reason why we're back out here today. This search came as a result of continued dogged determination and persistence of many community members who were, have been out uh, every week since uh, the official search was suspended. Melissa's parents are in Virginia and unable to join the search on Saturday. The crews from across Vancouver Island plan to be on the ground for the entire weekend. We just want to thank all the people that have been out there, that have been searching, volunteering their time, doing it on their own time, uh, essentially trying to give this family some closure. Every single searcher who left here today to do this work left with the intent of returning Melissa home to her family. Julia Foy, Global News. A rally was held in Vancouver today for Jared Lowndes, an Indigenous man who was shot and killed by Mounties two years ago. The 38-year-old Wet'suwet'en man was killed in a Campbell River parking lot in a police altercation. Mounties say they were trying to stop him on an outstanding warrant when he fled. A police dog was sent after him and was stabbed to death. The handler was injured. That's when shots were fired. The rally comes a day after Lowndes' family filed a civil suit against the Campbell River RCMP. This civil suit is not about winning any monetary amount. It's far from that. What I want from this civil suit is to blow things open. I want people to understand what we as Indigenous people face on a daily basis. The Public Safety Ministry says it cannot comment on the situation as it is now before the courts. The RCMP says it acknowledges and respects those who wish to participate in peaceful demonstrations. In December of last year, BC's police watchdog found reasonable grounds for charges against the three RCMP officers. Coquitlam RCMP are asking for your help to find a woman considered unlawfully at large after she failed to return to a forensic psychiatric psychiatric hospital. Police say Gabriel Gibson was reported overdue on a day pass yesterday from the hospital on Colony Farm Road. The 41 year old is described as having dark brown medium length brown hair rather and green eyes. She was last seen wearing a gray sleeveless top, a black and white striped long skirt, white shoes and carrying a large black handbag. Gibson may behave in a way that poses a risk to herself and others. If you see her, do not approach her and instead call 911. All those people who got a parking ticket at a BC ferry terminal over the long weekend are getting a break. Global News has learned that BC Ferries has voided all 125 parking tickets issued by Impark at terminal lots over the Canada Day weekend. There were delays for both vehicles and foot passengers due to the refit on the coastal celebration lasting longer than expected. Still ahead on Global News Hour, the aftermath and the murder of a Surrey Gurdwara president. A protest in downtown Vancouver gets heated over alleged foreign interference by India. 
and later. A member of BC Lines coaching staff who's breaking down barriers. There's much more when we come back. Dozens protested in downtown Vancouver today. The large crowd accusing the Indian government of foreign interference in connection with the murder in Surrey of a Sikh leader less than a month ago. As Krista Dow reports, the demonstration had already drawn the ire of Indian government officials days ago for controversial posters promoting this afternoon's gathering. Weeks of anger and outrage fueling this very moment as protesters set ablaze India's national flag just steps outside the Indian Consulate General Office in downtown Vancouver. They gathered by the hundreds protesting foreign interference, alleging it was India who was behind Hardeep Singh Nijar's death. You cannot silence us. So this is the message that we are, we stand with Mr. Niger, we stand with our fellow Canadian. Niger, a Surigodora president and vocal proponent of Khalistan, a separatist Sikh state, was gunned weeks ago in the parking lot outside his place of worship. RCMP have not identified any suspects. We feel very deeply, you know, like uh, bonded, but it's not something, you know, we take very lightly and we want, you know, Canadian government to look into it very deeply and find out, you know, who did it. The rally not without controversy, with some questioning whether the poster depicts violence with its imagery and words, kill India. Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie calling it unacceptable, writing Canada remains in close contact with Indian officials. Canada has always taken extremely seriously violence and threats of violence. We've always taken serious action against terrorism and we always will. There has been no depiction of violence in there. There's a Seeks for Justice pen, the ballad, which is just like pierced into the front of the gun which reiterates that Sikhs for justice and Canadian Sikhs do not believe in any violence. The poster also names two high commissioners of India. One, a former CSIS intelligence officer, says no evidence points to India's involvement, but says India has meddled in the past. Recently, we had the National Security Advisor, Ms. Thomas, say in, in a House of Commons committee meeting that India is involved in state foreign interference. The government and Canadians need to listen to these communities and not write it all off as diaspora politics or homeland issues over there. Meanwhile, members of the Sikh community remain defiant, vowing to continue speaking out. Krista Dow, Global News. A rally held in downtown Vancouver this afternoon in a show of solidarity for an Iranian rapper facing a possible death sentence in Iran. Free Tomaj. Tomash Salehi has been accused by Iranian authorities of criticizing Iran's regime in his lyrics. The Iranian government also took issue with an interview he gave last year to a Canadian media outlet and accused him of colluding with Canada as a hostile government. Now people in Vancouver say they're here to be his voice. He's been the voice of all these, you know, like freedom fighters. So it is very important for us to keep him alive because... He's a treasure, one of our treasure. The most serious charge he faces is, quote, corruption on earth, which is punishable by death. 
A church on Vancouver's west side has seen once again that love triumphs over hate. Volunteers from different faiths and backgrounds have come together this morning to help restore the seven pride doors that had been vandalized at Shaughnessy Heights United Church last week. It is the third time in as many years the church has been targeted by what police have described as hate crimes. And for the third year in a row, the community has come together to help clean up the mess. The message is that uh, God's compassion and grace is for everyone and that we are a church that wants the world to know that everyone is loved no matter what and that everyone is welcome. The vandalism was not only homophobic and transphobic, but also anti-Semitic. Coming up on the news hour, an unfortunate milestone. Ukraine reaches the 500-day mark of the Russian invasion. Is there an end in sight? Plus, a health warning about a specific sexually transmitted disease now that the Calgary Stampede is kicked off when we return. Toronto police have arrested a man in connection with a stabbing on a subway train this week. Witnesses say the attack occurred after two men got into an altercation on board the train on Thursday. 25-year-old Moses Lewin was arrested yesterday and is facing various charges, including attempted murder. The stabbing sent a man to hospital with life-threatening injuries. He is now in stable condition. It is the latest in a string of violent incidents on Toronto Transit in recent months. The war in Ukraine has reached another grim milestone. It's now been 500 days since Russia invaded the country, and there's no end in sight for the fighting. We're now getting a look at the losses associated with the war. Mackenzie Gray has the story. It's an all-too-common scene after 500 days of war. At least 10 dead in western Ukraine after a Russian missile landed in a residential area of Lviv. For those who survive, there's often nothing left to come home to. That's exactly what happened to the Zertisky family, who fled Kyiv after their house burned down, now calling the Ukrainian countryside home. Olga forced to cook outdoors for her family of five, while her husband Igor watches their children in a tiny wooden home. President Vladimir Zelensky paying tribute to the millions of Ukrainians who've sacrificed during the war. On a visit to Snake Island, a tiny village in the Black Sea, the Ukrainians were able to retake from the Russians. And the prospect of further gains boosted yesterday, after the U.S. announced they delivered cluster bombs to Kyiv, a controversial weapon that releases a large number of smaller bomblets that can kill indiscriminately over a wide area. But those that don't explode pose a danger for decades after the conflict ends. Depending on how they land, some of them don't go off and will hang around. And that number is anywhere from 2% on up, depending on uh, the terrain. And civilians can uh, happen upon these, uh, these duds and they can cause uh, civilian casualties. There are weapon Canada and many other Western allies have banned. The UK is signatory to a convention which prohibits the production or use of cluster munitions and discourages their use. But it's not just weapons deliveries. Ukraine got another boost, this time from Turkey, who said Kyiv should undoubtedly be a member of NATO. Comments that will likely dominate the discussion when the alliance meets in Lithuania on Tuesday. Mackenzie Gray, Global News, Ottawa. Some concerning trends have shown up in Alberta's latest sexually transmitted infections report. Health officials say there is an ongoing syphilis outbreak in the province and are warning both residents and visitors to enjoy the Calgary Stampede while also staying safe. Carolyn Curry-DeCastillo reports.
These are photos of an infant with congenital syphilis. In Alberta, the rate of babies born with syphilis has gone up nearly six-fold from 2018. A total of 273 cases have been diagnosed since then. Our expected number of cases should be zero. Um, and so to see even one baby born with congenital syphilis is frankly not acceptable. According to the latest Alberta report, chlamydia has gone up by 19% compared to 2021 and HIV is up 17%. Part of the problem can be linked to the rise in addictions. Edmonton um, actually had some of the highest rates of methamphetamine and wastewater of any city in Canada. So we know there's very high use of that drug here. And that drug um, not only stimulates sex drive, but it impairs people's behavior. Stampede is known as a time of increased socializing and drinking. Alberta Health Services says you can reduce your risk of getting a sexually transmitted infection by practicing safer sex. Use condoms, um, try to drink less and uh, get tested. There are a number of factors linked to the increase in infections, people not being diagnosed soon enough, and a decrease in the public perception of risk. Across the board, we've seen an increase in the use of dating apps, which has made it uh, much easier for people to arrange um, casual and anonymous sexual contact. In a statement, Alberta Health says it continues to monitor the rise of infectious syphilis, which is seeing a resurgence around the world. A government spokesperson says Alberta Health is making investments to prevent infections and to provide wraparound supports for people living with infections. Carolyn Curry de Castillo, Global News. Coming up, cleaning up the streets, how youth and community members are pitching in to breathe new life into Chinatown and Gastown when we come back. Campaign to clean up Vancouver's streets is starting to get a little more help. Volunteers have been taking part in regular cleanups in Chinatown since April. And now they're started partnering with youth groups such as Youth with a Mission and Vancouver International Volunteer Association to pick up trash and remove graffiti. They're also trying to expand to clean up other neighborhoods, including Gastown this weekend. Today's efforts even inspired those living in the neighborhood to help out. Today we had a fantastic turnout. I think we have around 30 volunteers or so, um, maybe even more. And today we were very excited because we we're able to separate the groups into doing not only just the cleanups, but also to support our local merchants in Chinatown and Gastown to do the graffiti paint overs and removal. So we're really happy to see that come about. I like to give back and, and I like to have a clean neighborhood. So I, I went and asked to, if they if I could volunteer, and they said yes. A second cleanup event is scheduled for August 5th. And Yvonne, a perfect day for cleanup, <laughs> if you're wearing sunscreen, that is. Yeah, and you're hydrated as well. Yes, uh, very hot and hazy out there. Temperature still going to be soaring as we get in towards the latter half of the weekend and early next week. That coming up in just a moment. But we can see the hazy skies out there. Temperatures are currently sitting at around 21, and we've got that southeast easterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. Lit in the hot spot right now across the country and for the province, sitting at 38.9 in that area, still underneath the heat warning that will continue continuing towards Monday. A few other spots uh, with Quenal getting up to 33, Inland Terrace up to 31, and areas near Soyuz getting up to 36 degrees. So the heat warning will still remain in effect. Those are areas in pink, 
pink. Yeah, let's say pink. Uh, up at to 35 degrees. Overnight lows will be into the teens. And this smoky skies bulletin will remain over the next 24 and 48 hours. Here's where we're watching the lightning strike still popping up with severe thunderstorm watch. That's in effect extending into the central interior, the southern half and areas into towards the Okanagan Valley. And we still have another unsettled day that will move in for tomorrow. Fire ban, campfire ban is blanketing the province. This is a reminder. We're also seeing the fire danger ratings sitting at high to extreme throughout much of the province. So please be very diligent with those cigarette butts and enjoy the outdoors. Now, the northern half of the province along the coast, 17 degrees. It's the heat and instability that's going to pick up once again for tomorrow. Terrace with that risk of a thunderstorm, similar for the northeastern corners, the peace extending in towards the central interior. Those in the peace with respiratory issues will want to try and limit the amount of time spent outdoors. Much of the southern half of the province for the interior will see that risk of a thunderstorm moving in through the afternoon and early evening. Whistler, a hot one up to 30 degrees and inland across the island with Portal Burnie topping out closer to 29. It'll be cooler by the water with Victoria getting up to 22. Lower mainland, so we are going to see a bit of a blip in the forecast this evening. We may even see an isolated shower moving in across the region. It'll clear out quite quickly and then tomorrow we've got temperatures away from the water 28, humidex up to 31 and then a slight reprieve. Monday, Tuesday with that cloud cover we'll be back into the low 20s. Bit of a break from the heat, rebounding once again on our Wednesday away from the water up to 26. Julie. Thanks, Yvonne. If you're planning to catch up on some binge watching, hopefully you avoid what's being called the prime time showdown. A new study is finding that the average couple fights over the television four times a week. The most common factors fueling these arguments are what to watch, someone asking too many questions, and how high the volume should be. Because so many people get frustrated with the other's TV habits, 44% now have another room with their own TV so that they can enjoy Enjoy their favorite programs in peace. <laughs> Barry, have, what about you? Well, do, have you ever had anybody who, like for the volume, they have it so they have to have it in a certain number. It needs to be even. Like they get particular about certain things. I know. That's weird. Like I've that. never heard of that. Yeah, I'm like that. just pointing that out. I'm just saying I get the remote. I don't do, care. Oh, End of story. You don't have your own room? <laughs> you don't have your own room? Well, no one wants to watch TV with me. <laughs> Except Aww. when I watch myself on the news hour. No, I'm just <laughs> No, no, that sounds silly. <laughs> anyway, it's good to be back. Yeah, nice Vacation to have you back. exhausted Love me. That. I'm really happy to be back <laughs> at work. Uh, coming up in sports, uh, Vandy's going to set up the big uh, Sounders game coming up at uh, BC Place against Seattle. Bianca Andreescu at Wimbledon. And we'll have a story on uh, Tanya Henderson. She is an assistant coach with the BC Lions. Breaking barriers and a real good coach, too. That story coming I up. I love it. All right, thanks so much. Well, coming up on the News Hour, a challenging game above water, let alone underwater. We'll meet members of Canada's underwater rugby team as they prepare for the World Championships. Stay with us. Rugby is a well-known sport, but less familiar is the rugby played underwater. Professional teams from around the world are gathered in Montreal this week for the World Underwater Championships. Gloria Henriquez dove deep to check out Team Canada's chances in the pool. Marco Cardona is gearing up to go above and below at the World Underwater Rugby Championships. I'm very proud to be part of this uh, Canada team. As the captain, he says he's ready to take on the globe's best. Ten men's teams will be facing off in the next week, including Denmark and Colombia, the current champions. Five women's teams are also looking for a spot on the podium. At least this year we have a complete and full 
women, women team, so it's like such an honor. But how does underwater rugby work? The game is played with a relatively buoyant ball. It's filled with saline water and weighs about three kilos. Teams score by passing the ball through a bucket. There are 20 players to a team, six are above water waiting to take a turn and give a break to the other six players who have to come up for air. Although sometimes Rodriguez says the game can get so intense, they even forget. Yeah, sometimes that happens. Underwater rugby started in Germany in the 1960s, but it hasn't gained a lot of popularity yet. With this event, organizers hope to attract more players and fans to the sport as they discover all it has to offer. It's thrilling for sure. It's also a one of a kind. It's the first time the World Championships are taking place in North America. The event is free and open to the public. The championships kick off this Saturday at Claude Rebillard Sports Complex and the finals take place on July 15th. Players here promise to put on a performance that will leave you breathless. Gloria Enriquez, Global News, Montreal. Coming up in sports, in the final playoff spot, Vancouver Whitecaps and their crucial homestand tonight when they host Seattle. All that's at stake when we come back. Get your picnic blanket and grab a spot on the lawn at Whistler's Summer Concert Series. From classical music and indie pop to chilled out beats, R&B and rock bands, Whistler Olympic Plaza is the place to be for free outdoor concerts all summer long. Don't miss the incredible Eagles tribute, Take It to the Limit, and hear talented musicians and singers perform all of your favorite Eagles hits like Hotel California, Desperado, Take It Easy, and more. EaglesTributeShow.com for details. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Our BC is brought to you in part by MarBC. Support a sustainable BC and recycle your end-of-life, large appliances, and help keep BC green. Barry is back, and she just couldn't do it. Uh, Bianca, yeah, she played just her best Wimbledon she's ever had. She's uh, obviously had great success at the U.S. Open, but uh, played well, just not quite enough today. Thanks, Julie. Uh, Bianca Andreescu was the last Canadian woman sta standing in singles at Wimbledon today as she took on last year's runner-up, Jabour of Tunisia. Andreescu's healthy again, in a good state of mind, and playing some of her best tennis since she won the U.S. Open over Serena Williams nearly four years ago. Bianca with a chance to get to the fourth round. She'd never been past the second round before this year. The great Billie Jean King watching this one at center court. Andreescu got off to a great start in this match, gets an early break as she swats the return winner. Two-fisted backhand goes up 3-1 in the opening set. Uh, Bianca's at her best when she's aggressive, but she's also at her best when she uses all those shots in her repertoire, and she's got a lot of them. Known for a great drop shot, one right there, takes the opening set, six games to three. Now second set on serve, but Jabour takes it up a notch. Andrescu rushing the net, but Jabour with a fantastic passing shot. She would get the break and go up 4-2. That gave Jabur some energy. Nice sequence here, drawing Bianca in with another dropper, then finishes it with the lob. And Jabur takes the second set, 6-3. So we are one apiece. We require a third set. But then the rain comes yet again on what's been a very wet Wimbledon so far. It took 45 minutes to close the roof on center court before they resume play. When they resume, Bianca still playing well, chases down the drop shot, and then smashes it to take the game. She led 4-3, but at 4-4 in her next service game, Bianca kind of unraveled, made a couple of errors, and then 
Ooh, a double fault. She had served so well all match, but she gets broken and Jabir with the chance to serve for the match. And she will close it out. Match point fires the ace down the line and Bianca and rescues Wimbledon is over in singles at least. She falls in three sets, but uh, real positive stuff for Bianca with uh, plenty of big tournaments still to come this summer. Denis Shapovalov plays his fourth round match tomorrow. He's the only Canadian left in singles. Vancouver Whitecaps begin a crucial homestand tonight when they host Seattle. 7.30 kickoff at BC Place. Sounders sitting second in the West. Vancouver in the ninth and final playoff spot. Home points are so crucial to the Caps right now, especially when you factor in how the month of July takes shape. Critically important also because after these three games, there's a break for the League's Cup. The league actually stopped for a month and the standings is going to stay the same for a month. And... Uh, uh, you know, we'd like to uh, go in this July break, uh, being in a playoff position. Baseball today, Blue Jays and Tigers from Detroit, Toronto looking to run its win streak to five games, but their ace Kevin Gossman gets touched up for a couple of runs in the first. Spencer Torkelson will put that one into the gap in left center. That scores Riley Green all the way from first. Tigers went up 2-0. Now the Jays scored 12 runs against Tiger pitching last night, but Detroit starter Matt Manning was unhittable. Literally six and two-thirds of no-hit ball. Strikes out Matt Chapman there, but uh, Manning still got lifted after 91 pitches with the no-hitter intact. Tiger bullpen keeps it going, and when Vladdy Guerrero grounds out. The Tigers have a combined no-hitter. Seventh time the Jays have been no-hit in their history. The first time on a combined no-hitter. Jays are now 49 and 41. One more game to go tomorrow before the All-Star break. PGA Tour is in Illinois for the John Deere Classic and it's American Brendan Todd with the shot of the day from 46 feet playing about what eight feet of break there maybe more but it's perfectly judged that will find the hole for birdie gives Brendan Todd the outright lead at 16 under through three rounds. He's got a one shot lead over three others. Surrey's Adam Svensson five back at minus 11. He's tied 16th. Adam Hadwin and Nick Taylor both missed the cut this weekend. U.S. Women's Open from glorious Pebble Beach golf links. Check out that scenery. Canada's Brooke Henderson trying to stay within touch of the leaders. This has got to help a lot. Second shot on the par 410th. And a couple of bounces, and that is going to go in for Eagle. Brooke tied 14th at three over. Surrey's Lauren Kim, an amateur, just missed the cut by one, but a great tournament for her. Japan's NASA Hataoka had the best round of the day by a lot. Chips in for birdie here. Six under 66 on a windy, tough scoring day. She shot 66. The average score was 75. She's at seven under, has a one-shot lead. Only six players out of 74 are under par. Women's rugby from Ottawa, Canada taking on powerhouse New Zealand in the Pacific Four Series. Black Ferns are the defending world champions and they're performing the Hakka pregame as is the custom. New Zealand jumped out 21-0 but then Canada rally. Victoria's Sophie de Goody gets Canada's first try of the game and powers in there. She's the team captain leading by example there. It's 21-7 and then Canada powering its way down the field. Fabiola Forteza 
takes it in for another try. 14 quick strike points for Canada. Trailed 21-14 at the break, giving the world champs all they can handle. But in the second half, now 28-21, just as Canada would uh, get close, New Zealand would pull away and they did it again and they would tack on a few more tries. A hearty effort for Canada, but they fall to New Zealand 52-21. BC Lions are at home to Montreal tomorrow in a rare Sunday game at BC Place. Kickoff 4 o'clock. Lions need a win to keep pace with Winnipeg atop the West after the Bombers beat Calgary last night. One person who's making her mark with the Lions is Tanya Henderson. Leo's hiring Henderson last season in an entry-level defensive assistant role. But as you're about to find out, Henderson is not only breaking down barriers, she's making an impact in the Lions' den as a valuable member of the coaching staff. Let's see it from this angle, okay? Well, every day is kind of different. Um, you know, we have very structured practice days and like a very structured schedule. So there's certain things that like day to day, you know, film review, um, game prep, install, all of that stuff. Um, like the document and the computer and the film work is like fairly laid out and consistent. Uh, but you know, things happen and some days your day has to change and you're looking at different things and yeah, you just kind of roll with it. A year ago, Tanya Henderson made CFL history when she became the first full-time female coach in the league, and she's now in her second season as a Lions defensive assistant. I'm glad I was right. I thought she had a very strong work ethic. I thought she had the right personality. I don't think it's easy to be the one that's different. She's hanging out with a bunch of guys all the time, and um, she's fit in really well, and she wants to do it. That was one of the first questions I asked her after year one was, do you think you want to do this football thing? Some, some people get involved in it, and they're like, I don't want to do this. This is crazy. And there's zero doubt in her mind that she wants to, to try to make a career out of this, and there's no question that she can. Henderson's entry-level position involves assisting her fellow coaches prepare for every aspect of the day, be it practice schedules, drills, defensive schemes, breaking down game film, and helping everyone be as prepared as possible for the Lions' next opponent. She's pretty much learning and doing it all at the professional level. Even when we're game planning, you know, I still ask her opinion. I'd be like, yeah, do you like this? And she'll, you know, say her bits and pieces and so forth. And I'd be like, oh, okay. You know, and I'd let her, you know, do her thing from that point. And my thing is I just want to see her evolve. You know, I want to see her take steps forward. Um, you know, I don't want her to just be in an assistant role or anything like that. I want her to feel like she's contributing and a part of this and what she is. So, you know, every year you want to see somebody grow in their own fashion at their own pace. And she's been doing that year in, year out. And that way she'll get more and more responsibilities as we grow. Getting the opportunity is key here. Tanya's football career began as a player just a decade ago because there's very few girls or women's football clubs and leagues around. Same for women coaching at the high school, junior or university football level. So if there's no clear path or seam on an already uneven playing field, imagine knocking on a team's door trying to get a job. There needs to be a linear pathway of being a player, uh, you know, playing through youth, playing into high school, playing, you know, in some capacity at like a, you know, past high school level um, so that they actually have a way to grow and learn the game. I mean, I got into the game late and, you know, it's a lot of catch up and there's a lot of taken for granted knowledge. And if you don't have that linear pathway, you can't get that knowledge. And that's just even talking as a player, not to mention as a coach. First and foremost, Tanya wants to be seen and heard as a coach, but there's also the sad reality that only 11 women are employed by CFL teams in coaching, therapeutic, and management positions. 
everybody accepts her, you know, for, you know, what she brings to the table. Not nothing about gender or anything like that, but for the fact that, one, she's knowledgeable, too, she wants to be able to help you out and contribute as best as possible. And no one, you know, looks outside of that. So, you know, it's been great addition for us. I think it was a great hire, but also to the same extent, it's been great for us, you know, because at the end of the day, she's fulfilling her job to the utmost. Having no background and like the experience being around the CFL, like I didn't know what to expect, but um, it's been nothing short of amazing. Can tell the players respect her. Yeah, good for Great. her. All right, thanks, Barry. Well, straight ahead on the news hour, some traditional canoe races that are connecting with Mother Nature when we come back. There's plenty of action off the shores of North Vancouver this weekend. The annual Canoe Festival has returned to Weyawichin Park, or Kate's Park. It's hosted by the Slaywood Tooth Nation on the grounds of their traditional village site. Their canoe teams are competing against other First Nations from the Lower Mainland, Vancouver Island, and Washington State. Paddlers use traditional dugout canoes of different sizes. Participants vary in age from seniors to kids under 10. Having all these children being involved, you know, it's taking care of them mentally, spiritually, physically and emotionally. So doing it all together is very important. We're a community and we're a family. So staying together every day and doing something that we love, you know, just makes memories, makes us all happy and we're carrying things on. The Slaywood Nation is people of the inlet, so the inlet is really healing for us. And just being in there, we always say we can feel our ancestors with us. The festival draws hundreds of spectators each day. The public is welcome with races continuing into tomorrow afternoon. And Pat Bell shot this for us, and he was saying that the little paddles were adorable. <laughs> little hands help. <laughs> yes, for sure. Out quick last look at the weather. We are going to see another hot one for tomorrow. This evening, though, a bit of cloud cover may roll in. Slight chance for an isolated shower, but it rebounds quite quickly tomorrow. Humanex away from the water. We're closer to 31. Bit of a reprieve on Monday, Tuesday. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being with us. Have a great night.